welcome to another episode of the Skull Surge Podcast. My name is Tyler Fornis, and I am your host today, and I have a very special guest, uh, the gopher guru himself and owner of Vikings Corner, Daniel House. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. It's draft season now, digging into these guys, watching prospects. It's, it's the best time of year, isn't it? Oh, it absolutely is. And I'm really excited to talk about uh, some homegrown guys. And I know Minnesotans get really attached uh, to those who are their own. They did last year with Tyler Johnson. Every mock I was seeing floating around the Twitter sphere had Tyler Johnson going to the Minnesota Vikings around four or five. And of course, he ended up winning a Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers instead. And uh, there are a couple of guys that I think they're going to get really attached to uh, just because they're the hometown boys. And one of them is cornerback Benjamin St. Juiced. Uh, we got to see him uh, go to the senior bowl, show off his awesome length and athleticism. Uh, as far as like his gopher career, Daniel kind of, well, he, he seemed to have a little bit of an up and down uh, kind of career in Minnesota. Kind of take us through that. And how does that help him project to the NFL? Well, he came to Minnesota as a grad transfer from Michigan, and there was reportedly some health issues there, a hamstring problem that hampered his ability to be on the field. So eventually, once he got medically cleared, he was able to transfer to Minnesota and then instantly made a big impact. I thought he was extremely underrated in the 2019 seasons. Like you said, I mean, the length is what really stands out within his skill set. Six, three and change, which translates to a nine, nine, six relative athletic score ninth out of 1,877 defensive backs since 1987. So the length is extremely rare wingspan of 80 and a quarter, 32 inch arms. So you're looking at the teams that could be interested in him. I would love him in a cover three heavy oh, scheme, yeah. maybe with the Seahawks, the 49ers, the Jets now with Robert Sala there. I was thinking maybe the Packers and the Colts would be good defensive fits. But like you said, I think the physical traits are really good. I want to see what his 40 time is. Can he hover around four or five? Looking at his metrics coming into college, he had a four, five, eight, 40 at the opening regional. I'd like to see that number about four or five. Uh, and it would really surge his draft stock among all the scouts. But the 386 uh, shuttle time is something that stands out. I mean, he has incredible agility. I think you see that when you watch him on film, especially at the Senior Bowl. He's physical, but yet he has really good recovery speed, opens up his hips and mirrors very well. Uh, he can play off coverage. He can play, you know, off coverage zone. Uh, you can play man to man. I mean, he, he, any style that you want. That's why I think he's very scheme diverse, Tyler. He can play, you know, as a physical press corner, he can play off and in more zone coverage and break on the ball because of his recovery speed. I just think that, you know, Benjamin St. Juice draft stock significantly increased at the senior bowl. And uh, he could actually probably go in the third or fourth round if a team falls in love with his traits. You know, I, I see that in this draft class, and obviously St. Juice is kind of on another level with his with his length, wingspan, and height just being just over the top. But I'm hearing kind of the same things with uh, Syracuse corner, Ifiatu Melifanu, and I'm not sure if you've had a chance to watch him yet, but he kind of projects that same way. He, he can do a lot of different things, probably sits, fits best in a cover three scheme. And I'm wondering with St. Juice, and you kind of mentioned those that, those injury uh, issues that he had just wasn't able to stay on the field how much of that might translate to him falling down in the draft if uh, teams are going to see that and if I don't I don't know what the medicals will look like but if that's going to be a hindrance for him as far as just getting a higher spot in this class because it's it's a weird corner class 
It is. It's a weird corner class. And I honestly don't just diving into the initial few guys that I've watched. I, I don't think the corner class is particularly strong. It, it's a top. There's a couple at the top that are, are really good, but like St. Juice, if things check out well medically, I think he could honestly, like I said, go third or fourth round. Uh, he was 100% healthy at Minnesota for the most part. I mean, a couple dings here and there, but once he came here from Michigan after the hamstring injury, uh, that I, I never really noticed any significant problems. And I think this last, he was really, really good in 2019, 10 pass breakups, doesn't have any interceptions in his career. I know a lot of people probably are looking at that, but he was very aggressive on the ball, made a lot of good plays, very I'd say excellent instincts is something that stands out to me. He reads routes really well, gets into passing lanes. Sometimes a physicality is an issue. Like he's super physical. I think we saw that at the senior bowl sometimes like, mm -hmm. man, this guy's holding or DPI, but like there are also really, really good reps too, where you see that physicality stand out. Like, heck you could see Mike Zimmer working with Benjamin <laughs> yeah. St. Juiced because of those physical traits that he has. Uh, he, he would translate nicely to, to the Viking scheme as well. So mm -hmm. that's the thing with St. Juice that I think stands out as a fact that he's very scheme diverse. Okay. He can play any type of coverage uh, system that you're looking to run. And that's what I think is going to significantly help his drafts prospect is the scheme flexibility that he provides. And that's important in this era of the NFL where <laughs> coverages are mixed more than ever. I agree with that. And one of the things that has me a little concerned about his future as kind of like a, a traditional cornerback in this era of the NFL is his height. You don't really see a lot of guys who are even at 6'2 playing the cornerback position. You usually see like the six, six flats, six one. And a lot of times you see those guys moved inside to safety. Uh, do you see yeah. kind of a projection for St. Juice maybe being like, like a slot strong safety hybrid that being uh, utilized maybe like an Anthony Barr just as, as a space eater in the middle, just trying to clog up passing lanes? I could see him being a safety at the next level. I, Jim Nagy had him playing some safety down there as well. Like they definitely saw that projection of him possibly being able to, you know, play in that type of role. I think versatility uh, as a defensive back is a big thing now because you've got so many different packages, teams playing more dime and having an extra DB on the field. The big nickel packages, for example, seem to be a revolution across college football and the NFL. I mean, Iowa State was the big team with the, the big nickel for a while, and then you saw it translate to the NFL pretty quickly. So I'm looking at that going, hey, St. Juice has versatility. I think with the combination of the scheme versatility plus a couple of the traits things, like I remember talking to Joe Rossi, the Gophers defensive coordinator, and he was like, his flexibility is something that stands out in his skill set, his hips. He, you know, when he transitions from backpedal to opening his hips, he's phenomenal in that area. And that's where you see that recovery speed. He's got that length. If he gets just enough recovery speed to get back in position, he has the link to get into that passing lane. And with the agility metrics, like I said, that three, eight, six, 20 yard shuttle uh, at the opening regional back in the day, I want to see what that number is. I'm projecting it out. I wrote an article on gophersguru.com. You can check it out if you're a subscriber, but it talks about how I see some Richard Sherman type of comparisons like a young Richard Sherman and testing metrics to Benjamin St. Juice. What will the 40 time be? That's what I'm interested in. The straight line speed, I'm not sure, you know, if he has that. 
but I also don't think it's a hindrance by any stretch of the imagination because of the agility, the instincts that we talked about earlier and his ability to get into those passing lanes. He's a very, very smart player. And that's what all the you know, teammates I've talked with coaches that, that were at Minnesota, they all talk about uh, his football IQ too. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think one of the interesting things is not necessarily going to be the 40 time. It was uh, what Arif Hassan highlighted in his article a couple years back that I focused on a lot during my process this off season is kind of what the Vikings look for. And they look for this thing called the flying 20, which is that last 20 yards of the 40 yard dash. Cause obviously I don't think St. Juice is going to have that big get up and go, but at the same time, he has really good recovery speed. So with that fluidity, if that flying 20 is on par with like, in like the 60th, 70th percentile, those last 20 yards, I think that can make a really big difference, especially in a cover three scheme when you're going to be asked to do a lot of those fluidity things and utilize your length uh, in a maximum facet. And I think he could be a really good asset to any team that runs any kind of scheme where his length will be utilized. Yeah, it's it's if he's a zone-heavy team like we talked about, playing off zone, off man, also being able to come up and just physically jam receivers as a press type of guy. He did a lot of those things with Minnesota, mixing up coverages. I think he played in a scheme that's going to translate really well to the NFL because Minnesota loves to vary its coverage and also challenges their DBs on the perimeter a lot on third down because they like to blitz and get creative with their fronts. Uh, and send guys from all over the place. So St. Juiced was tested, and I thought his 2019 season was really good. 2020 creates a lot of challenges. I'm not looking at 2020 as much as like, hey, this guy, you know, he, he really had a bad 2020. It's going to impact his draft stock. Scouts are going to be looking at the whole picture as always, but the weight of 2019 season, 2018 season for prospects is going to be fascinating to watch is this a year where teams are maybe a little bit more aggressive with their mid-round picks moving up to get guys that they really like teams might not take as many players and and because they have to throw darts in the later rounds like that's what I'm fascinated to see is will personnel staffs be a little bit more aggressive and I've honestly heard from people in the league that that they they anticipate that that might be the case I, it wouldn't shock me one bit. It also wouldn't shock me to have Rick Spielman end up with uh, 20 draft picks this year, just because people are wanting to trade and he'll take all the assets he can get. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Awesome. He loves to have all those picks for sure. Oh yeah. I set a record last year with 15. It wouldn't shock me if he topped it, but yeah, let's get to the main topic of the day, Daniel. And that is uh, my controversially wide receiver to Rashad Bateman. Now, uh, you are somewhat of a Rashad Bateman historian in that you you kind of uh, have an in-depth knowledge of where he's been, what he's done throughout his career in uh, both Minnesota and in high school. So uh, you sent me a video earlier of him just dunking on guys in high school. And my goodness, I yeah, you kind of gets lost watching him on film that he is this really impressive athlete. Uh, what kinds of things was else was he doing in high school that kind of help his projection a little bit moving forward he was a great athlete he held basketball offers from virginia tech and penn state so he definitely had the opportunity to play college basketball if he wanted to i remember watching the film of rashad bateman when i first heard that he was committing and i remember them going down to a satellite camp to watch rashad bateman and he comes out there performs well offer commit boom he's in the boat like pj fleck would say 
and never looked back. I mean, he burst onto the scene that final year of high school, had in-state Georgia coming after him, but he remained committed, got a row the boat tattoo. He was that dialed into what PJ Fleck was doing, and he laid the foundation for what the, the future is going to look like in Minnesota's program. He's just a very unique guy, very quiet, but I think he grew and became more vocal over the course of time uh, while he was at Minnesota. And you just look at the film, Tyler. I mean, that athletic ability, I don't think people talk about it enough because he's such a detailed player. They look at the route running and they go, man, look at how this guy runs routes. But he also has the athletic ability. Like you mentioned, dunking over people in high school. I remember looking at the whole package. I like to go when I look at high school guys that are coming into Minnesota. I love to watch their basketball film see how they move on the court, what they do in that sport. I also like, I just look at every sport they play. Mm-hmm. And I think those guys that are versatile like that, they have the best athletic ability and their traits translate to the football field. And I remember his high school film too, just going up and uh, catching balls all over people, 50 fifties, uh, his routes were really good. Red zone releases were particularly strong. And then you see how all of that translates to Minnesota, Tyler. Uh, he's going to get on as one of the best receivers to ever play at Minnesota. The fact that they had Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman together for one season. I mean, that was an explosive uh, offensive group of wide receivers. I mean, that that they'll never have anything quite like that. I don't think for a long time at Minnesota. You know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they did or didn't because ever since P.J. Fleck showed up, recruiting has just been off the charts. He's getting yeah. guys that even Glenn Mason couldn't get here when he when they were consistently winning eight yeah. or nine games. And that they're, they just landed – I can't remember who it was, but they just landed their highest four-star ever uh, per 24-7. So, like, things are changing around here, and it's, it's kind of cool that we don't have to rely on three stars to kind of take over anymore and – you're right. Rashad Bateman really cleared the way for that. And I think it's really important to note that with those two, that Tanner Morgan had his best season. Yeah. He was the sixth most efficient quarterback in all of NCAA. And I think his uh, yards per attempt was over 10 yards. And I think you can contribute that a lot to Rashad Bateman and how he really helped carry that offense. Uh, As far as kind of like a translation to the next level, I think one of the things that is really going to hinder him, it especially with a lot of these scouts is just straight line speed that uh, he he just doesn't have that initial get up and go that you see from a lot of these guys but he has seemingly everything else uh, what is your take on kind of his general overall scouting report and how is that going to matter yeah I, I always look at route running tyler i'm a huge route running guy those people that can get separation at the college level and have high production, I'm all in on them. The speed comes, you know, the speed is not the only variable that you're looking at. I do believe Rashad will run a four, four, five, 40. That is my projection with Rashad safely feel like he's going to fall in that metric and even could be better. So scouts will be waiting to see. I know I talked to a couple of people around the league and they're like, will he be a four or five guy was the question. So if he can run sub four or five, his draft stock is going to even get a little bit higher. I think Uh, I look at the complete package, Tyler, the route running diversity within that route tree, glance RPOs, vertical go routes, the corner route, one of his best routes, he runs speed cuts, 
the technical components of the game are mastered by Rashad. He understands the intricacies of the position, reads and diagnoses coverages extremely well. Great awareness. I see a lot of plays where he'll like read the coverage and know right where to settle into the soft spot, or he will read the leverage of the DB and snap the route off out of the break and just show that fluidity and explosiveness. And then also he does an awesome job of keeping his head still until the last second. I mean, he never really reveals what the route's going to look like. PJ Fleck is always insistent upon guys being able to do that and keep their shoulders vertical is what he calls it because he doesn't want them to drop their shoulders because you pretty much relinquish complete control to the defensive back. And also his hand technique is really good. Minnesota emphasizes the wiper hand technique. So basically you want to get greater surface area. So he is able to get separation at the line of scrimmage just off of his technique. And, and Minnesota's receivers are some of the best in terms of details. And I think that's because of Matt Simon and PJ Fleck, they just know how to coach up that wide receiver position. So it's the route running. And then I would say the body control and the ball track. And I mean, he makes great adjustments on the ball in traffic can adjust at the last second and high point, big wide catch radius. You can throw the ball over the middle in traffic and he'll go get it. Uh, I just think he's done an awesome job as well of circling back to the ball on outbreaking routes if he needs to come back to it. That's something that PJ Fleck te- teaches off the drop pop uh, type of routes. And then he's underrated after the catch. Get him the ball in space. He'll make defenders miss. Unreal field vision and awareness. Uh, able to find the cutback lane and also make people miss. Uh, if he gets out in space and then red zone. I mean, that's the, that's probably, I would say the most impressive aspect of his skill set is like being able to adjust to balls that are thrown back shoulder. He's very patient in the red zone. He has great feet quarterback can throw it up in a spot, let him make a play. Does an awesome job of attacking leverage in the red zone. And when coverage is tight, like I said, wiping it away, using his hands and then running the really just detailed routes in that area. Uh, it, it helps him when he's able to uh, get those strong releases at the line of scrimmage and thrive in those situations. I, the technical components combined with the uh, after the catch skills and then the uh, ability to catch the ball in traffic, I think those are the things that stand out most about Rashad. Yeah, you kind of went over a lot there, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. When I watch uh, Bateman, I kind of get like like a hybrid of like OBJ, Michael Thomas vibes, where he is he's just a bully, and he has no problem just go, going over you, maximizing that body control. But he's also just such a smooth mover in space, and he's able to snap those routes off at an instant and be able to that, honestly take anything to the house. And I'm really excited mm-hmm. to see where he goes. I just – hope that he ends up in the right situation that understands how to use him because I I think if you put him in a position where he's just like a slot only guy I think you're just robbing yourself of his potential he's an ex receiver because of that ability to get separation and the things that he can do with the line of scrimmage that's the best way to use Rashad Bateman his slot usage was up significantly in 2020 and I don't think that worked very well because it's it was easier for defenses to be able to bracket Rashad with the linebacker mm-hmm. safety. And I mean, they didn't have a lot of depth at the wide receiver position. I think that hurt their offense. They also had a new offensive coordinator coming in call plays, a co-offensive coordinator, Mike Sanford from Utah State. So it was, you know, in a COVID year trying to transition to the offense and not have a lot of contact. And then you had to try to establish that rhythm 
And also, you know, losing Tyler Johnson was a big factor as well. And then you're using some younger guys. And I just felt like Minnesota's offense, they focused a lot on running the ball. And I know I've talked to coaches across the country that are like, you had to emphasize whether you were going to be a really detailed running concept team or really detailed passing concept team, because you did not have time to install and put all the details into both. So I believe Minnesota emphasized the details of the running game. And the passing game just felt like a work in progress as the year went along. And then you had Rashad, you know, he was open about getting COVID-19. And that was a, a process back for Rashad. I mean, he was struggling through that. And that definitely impacted uh, his ability to have a, a successful. I mean, he played well in 2020, but I think a lot of people were like, well, I don't think he produced like he did in 2019. And obviously the sample size was smaller, but I do believe a big factor of that was the things that I just mentioned there. No, I agree. And I think uh, some of the things that weren't, you didn't mention were the fact that the Gophers were missing their two starting tackles for a decent amount of the year uh, from what I recall. And Tanner Morgan just felt like he wasn't nearly as composed in the pocket as he probably uh, should have been, or at least was in 2019. And a combination of all of those things kind of lead to the production. And that's why I always believe that stats deserve context and the context is King that just because he didn't produce, it doesn't mean he wasn't doing all the right things on his end in order to get that production. So, you know, I think we're on the same page and we're in lockstep right there. Yeah, it's all about being able to pair film up with data. And that's something that I think if you use data and you try to be like, I'm just going to use that as the sole way to uh, to evaluate a prospect or anything that you're doing with football, you're missing key context because you don't know certain situations. Uh, like, you know, like I said, with Minnesota's new offensive coordinator, like how did that impact things? Also, you've got to look at like how guys run routes. Are they getting separation? Like those, there are so many variables that you get from watching film that also pair up with statistics and vice versa. You find things with data that you can go and look at film and go, these things just don't match up and Mm -hmm. here's why. So it's important to have context. And I think the best analysts are able to take those two things and meld them together in a way that makes sense. And also to be able to, you know, quantitatively and qualitatively evaluate a prospect together. I mean, that's the key. Absolutely. There's a reason why analytics exist and it's, it's not just to make film guys mad. There's merit there. Uh, Now that we've kind of talked about the two big guys uh, from this class, I kind of want to move forward and uh, give uh, the people some guys to look at next year. Cause you know, when we were talking pre-show, I know Boye Mafe is kind of the big one that people need to look out for he's not the only one. There are quite a few guys who with really good seasons uh, could easily be drafted next year. Uh, who are some of your favorites from this next group? Well, you mentioned it with Boye Mafe, the athleticism teams are going to go crazy over this six foot four, two sixty, and runs a four, five, seven, which re- his, his whole relative athletic score ranks 14th out of 1,318 defensive linemen since 1987. That is all of his athletic data. I went in and did that for a subscriber piece. You can go check it out. And I also have a comp in there for him. And it is crazy how much the athletic metrics align with the specific NFL players. So if you want to check it out, go over to gophersguru.com and subscribe. But freaky athletic traits really starting to see some pass rushing arsenal expansion in his game. One of the best things I love about Boye is 
he has a really strong football IQ. Like when we interview him after games, I'm always trying to go in depth and provide coverage that, you know, brings light to things that I see on film and, and things like that. And he comes in and he just provides so much detail and insight. And he's one of the best interviews on the team. I did a story on him talking about his Nigerian roots. His family story is really, really fascinating, inspiring, and it's guided him every single day. So you can also check that out on the website. But Speed Rush was definitely the big, big rush that was successful for him. But he also knows how to set up rushes over the course of games. I remember asking him after the Nebraska game this year, if anybody watches that game, go and look at how the rushes line up over the course of that, that matchup. And I look at, he uses the speed rush, but he also has an inside counter that he deploys frequently. And he also was able to, like he was telling me, he could feel like he couldn't handle his speed. And once he started coming with the speed rush, then the guy started to overset a bit and he came back with the inside counter move and just the, the detail and the athleticism. And he has not even maxed out his full potential yet. Chad Wilt, defensive line coach, came from Cincinnati, really good coach, just his first year last year. And I know Boye puts a lot of time into improving himself, working with line of scrimmage. They're out of the training house over at Egan and the Minnesota Vikings complex. Boye has a shot to be one of those guys. I mean, he was productive this year. Uh, that could shoot up boards and really get a lot of attention coming into next year's draft class for sure. Yeah. Boy, Mafe was uh, one that I was really excited to watch. And once this summer comes, he's going to be one of my first deep dives, but 14th since 1987 with the RAS score. That's yeah. Like that's like, you're talking like Lawrence Taylor type of athleticism there. That's, that's insane. Yeah, since 1987 out of the defensive ends, that's where he stacks up. I mean, it's incredible. I was going through all the film from 2019 and I, I put that all into the breakdown. Then I'm like, I need to look at the athleticism and try to quantify how rare this is. I mean, guy has a 40 and a half inch vertical, I believe. I mean, the guy jumps out of the gym. I remember in, interviewing Winston Delatabadir, a defensive end for the Gophers. Uh, that just graduated last year. Now he's a GA with Oregon. He said, I remember watching this guy work out in the gym and it was like, is he going to like jump out of the ceiling? Like this guy is just a crazy freak. He, he said he did circles around everybody. And he said, when the combine comes next year, he is going to absolutely light it up. Like he's going to do circles around everybody. And hopefully we have the opportunity to see the combine because I, I want to see how Boye does because his, athleticism is truly one of those once in a once of a lifetime kind of guys when you look at the look at the metrics and I think Quiddy Pay is going to be the same example this year he's one of the athletic freaks I mean number one on Bruce Feldman's list last season so the athletic traits are what I'm looking for with pass rushers and the upside that he has if he gets into the right system at the next level watch out he's going to be a really good player yeah and I I like that you brought up Quiddy Pay I was watching him a little bit earlier and man he's not only does he have the athletic upside, but he is a technician and he really is. I am a big fan. And if you go back and you watch the film heading into this next from 2019 to 2020, I felt like he made a lot of strides from a technical perspective. And I, I remember watching him live play Minnesota last year. That game right there is one of the best film cuts that you can watch of Quiddy pay to see the upside and potential that that guy has. And some of the, 
things that he brings to the table. He is an electric prospect. I'd love to see him in the Vikings system, for example. I mean, you'd have Hunter and him coming off the edge with getting Michael Pierce uh, coming back and then possibly looking for a three technique. Maybe you sign a bridge gap three tech, but that would be deadly. Absolutely. And I think he would play extremely well as that five technique that Everson Griffin played for so long. Uh, yeah. Let, let's talk about some more guys. I know Tanner Morgan's one, Mohammed Ibrahim, Chris Ottman Bell. You mentioned a couple guys on the defensive side of the ball. Like, who are guys that you really think can make that really big jump? Because I thought Morgan was going to do it, but COVID kind of slowed that down a little bit. I know people are getting all worked up about Tanner Morgan and what happened this last season. I feel like he is going to have a bounce back year. I, I look at all of the things that Tanner Morgan can do well. Top five passer in terms of efficiency in 2019, I see the accuracy. Downfield, he was one of the best downfield passers in terms of accuracy percentage, balls of 20-plus yards downfield in 2019, and the anticipation that he throws with. I did a big breakdown. It was a three-part breakdown on Tanner, just looking at the throws that he made last year. And his ability when a receiver is coming into his break, coming out of it, he's throwing that receiver open. He has the football IQ, the processing, and the anticipation. And that's something that I'm really looking for in quarterbacks. Can they anticipate and throw the receiver open? And that's one of his best traits. Mike Sanford, when he came here, he used him more off boots and play-action concepts, which I like. I think he's underrated as a play-action faker. He sells the fake so well. Uh, And I I also look at his mechanics, his foundation. He works with a personal kinesiologist to maximize his movement. Mm -hmm. And fans are going to notice an even bigger difference this year on the things that he continues to work on. Just the deceleration, being able to get more whip in his arm, maximizing his movement. And not only that, but pocket movement is going to be the big thing that Tanner will progress on the most, I think, is being able to feel pressure, get out of the pocket, extend plays. He has that ability But with the offensive scheme, like you said, Mike Sanford coming in, have to prioritize which type of team you're going to be. And they definitely prioritize running the football. And you got to break it down here. I was looking at the statistics of it. I mean, Tanner, he was excellent on second down. High success rate, 60-plus percent completion percentage. Was pushing the ball uh, downfield. I believe it was like 30% of his second down throws resulted in a touchdown or a first down. Uh, that was despite a heavy, heavy amount of running on first down, which put the offense in less favorable positions. He was averaging, believe, an eight and a half yard to go distance on second down passes last year. Yet Minnesota was one of the best teams on early downs in college football last year, passing the football. So it just tells you if you take out and separate it and just look at second down, Tanner was doing a really good job in that category. And I want to see how he bounces back. It, In a way, I look at his game and I I project it to like Baker Mayfield, Case Keenum type Mm -hmm. of player. Definitely see a lot of those aspects in his game. But I also feel like the offense, when he gets into a system that's right for him, his mental processing is so good. He understands the game at such a high level that if he gets into the right coaching situation, the right fit, uh, he can turn into a quarterback that is successful at the next level. I completely agree. Uh, I, I kind of comped uh, Tanner Morgan. It's 2019 year to like 
2016 Baker Mayfield. He he's starting to put it all together and he just needs that one year to break out and he can really make some noise. And hopefully 2021 is that for him because they're actually going to have spring practice this year, which I think, especially with Mike Sanford coming in as that offensive coordinator is going to make a really big deal. Uh, Mohammed Ibrahim kind of felt weird seeing him go back to school, but as a gopher fan, you know, I was a big fan as far as his draft stock, it felt like a little bit of an odd decision. He's, he's kind of plays like a little bit of a bowling ball. He's got really good power. He's a little bit shifty. Uh, how does that make a difference for his stock moving forward? I was surprised that he didn't ponder coming out more than he did, but he also is very committed to what Minnesota is doing, is passionate about finishing school and being a part of what they've built here at Minnesota. And he looks ahead and sees the potential of this team. I watch Mo and I go, man, this guy's vision is incredible. The patience that he runs with, he's got really good feet. But if you square up in a hole and try to take him on or arm tackle him, he will run right through you. And like you said, he's shifty, he's light on his feet. He can make guys miss in space off the outside zone. He's so effective because he will wait for the, you know, the defense to over pursue or wait for a block to set up, find a cutback plane. It's the patience and the vision, the little details of him running the football stand out to me. His vision is some of the best I have watched in a long time, just watching running back prospects. That's the thing that the natural feel that he has when blockers are in front of him, he'll like wait for a defender to pass below past him or a blocker comes in front. He'll clear and cut back. He finds those creases and within Minnesota's zone blocking scheme, he definitely thrives. There's going to be a wide zone team that wants this guy to be on their roster because of his rushing style then you can bring him in on the goal line and he's going to be super effective as that style player a third down type of back that provides value in that area and I also think you know we saw him start to get more involved as a receiver he hasn't done as much of that he was really good in that area as a high school player so if that aspect of his game continues to expand Mike Sanford loves to run screens and wheels and things like that Mo can show another aspect of his game there but like you said I thought if he would have came out this year, he would have been in the conversation to be a pretty decent draft pick. I mean, I don't know where he would have fallen on the spectrum because it's so hard even to project where guys are going to go right now, but definitely could have been in the mid round conversation for sure. And with the way Minnesota runs the football, like he's getting like four, sometimes 35, 40 carries at a time. Like, you're going to take a nice beating coming back again, but, but also Minnesota starting to build that position group up to the point where, you know, they have Trey Potts, Kai Thomas didn't play last year. Uh, Cam Wiley showed some flashes. They have a really good core of running back. So maybe they don't have to run Mo at such a high rate. They can mix it up, mix and match. And if he has another good year can have the same draft stock or better uh, in the next draft cycle. I think you painted the picture beautifully at last guy at offense before we kind of uh, transition to the defense. I know there's a couple offensive linemen, but one guy I really want to focus on is Chris Ottman bell. Uh, some of the guys that work with the blue chip scouting, when we were kind of watching some film over the summer, he was really popping out to him just in the flashes he made as that wide receiver three, obviously COVID kind of yeah, hindered his development as a wide receiver too, but he's got something there. Uh, how do you project him possibly taking over that wide receiver one role for the Gophers this next season? Yeah, Chris Amon Bell, the route running of his game is something that stands out the most to me. Like, I remember watching red zone releases in practice one of the first years he was there. And I left practice and I went, 
man, this guy is the best route runner on the field. And I remember PJ Fleck talking about it. He's like, this guy, he runs phenomenal routes and he's so detail oriented. And that's how he gets open a red zone release a couple of years ago. I remember how he just set the route up so beautifully patient in the red zone, cuts it back inside, reads the leverage. I mean, it was just a phenomenal route. It's something that's always stood in my head when I think about Chris Houghton Bell, it's the details. And one of the areas I believe he improved the most from freshman year to where he is right now is the contested catch game, getting good body position, going up, getting the ball, tacking it vertically. PJ Fleck talks a lot about that accelerating upward. And he also teaches his receivers a different technique to catch the ball. A lot of guys go with a diamond technique. He's teaching them to catch it with the U because when you move side to side, it gives you more range of motion where if you're in the diamond, you're going up down to the side, your range of movement is a lot less than being like a diamond going back and forth, up and down. You catch radius, the ball comes up to you. You're able to push out rather than, you know, being more limited by the diamond technique that guys teach. And Alvin Bell has definitely benefited from the coaching that he has received. He reminds me a lot of a little small, little bigger version of Jarvis Landry. And I know he models his game a lot after him enjoys watching his film and, and picking out the details. But at the next level, I see him being a slot receiver that's very detailed and is underrated. Some team will be getting a lot of value with a guy like Ottman Bell. Yeah, I I love what Ottman Bell can bring to the game. And just, just out of curiosity, because I haven't delved in nearly as much as you have being the guru and everything, <laughs> Ottman Bell translates to Jarvis Landry and models his game after him, but is he, isn't he he a lot more explosive and a lot faster than a guy like Jarvis Landry where he can do more things and just be an earmarked slot? I think he's more modeling his game after the details of his, of his route running and just how he approaches the game and, and the possession style receiver he is. I would agree that he definitely is more explosive. I think when you look at his metrics, he's going to be really good, like in the explosiveness area with like the broad and vertical jumps, those things. You watch how he high points balls. I remember the game in Maryland where they threw it up downfield vertical ball and he goes up and gets that. Uh, he, I don't feel like he gets enough love. I mean, he was, this year was unique, you know, because they didn't really have the passing concepts in the game that they should have had in that, that area. But I mean, he couldn't finish touchdowns either. I mean, like he would, he would catch the ball, Tyler, like at the, at the three yard line and like could not back into the end zone. So he lost a lot of statistical output there. People who are watching the film are going to go, man, this Gophers team, they got stopped more at the three yard line than any team I've ever witnessed before. It's like Calvin Johnson, the one year he had like two touchdowns. It is insane. I mean, the Gophers all last year getting stopped. They got to score from depth more next year. They got to finish those plays. And Ottman Bell, when people dive through the film, they're going to see what he was able to do as more of a wide receiver three, being able to, you know, possibly I think at the next level be a slot exclusive receiver with a little bit of versatility. The way his playing style translates really well to the NFL as like a possession receiver that has good explosiveness, good route runner that can gain separation. And he's expanding as a contested catch receiver as well. And that that's always big. If you can not only get separation, but still succeed in the contested catches, it kind of makes you the complete package yep. uh, for, before we wrap it up, a couple more things, defensive side of the ball, who should we have our eye on? Coney Durr, cornerback decided to come back. I thought maybe he would declare for the NFL draft, but Minnesota really needed another defensive back to stay, especially with uh, Benjamin St. Juice going pro. Coney Durr is going to be one of the best 
uh, cornerbacks in the Big Ten next year. I really believe that underrated player over the past couple of seasons. I love his transition quickness. How he's able to, you know, backpedal, open up his hips, mirror defensive backs, made a lot of plays in the football. You look at Minnesota uh, in 2019, they're one of the best teams in havoc rate in the country, being able to make a lot of plays in the football. And that was because uh, Coney Durr had 11 pass breakups and he continued that success this season, just getting into passing lanes. Uh, I love how he can uh, just his athleticism, his vertical jump and his broad are going to be really good. I remember when he came out, the vertical jump was the big thing everybody was talking about, that the guy really has explosiveness. And, you know, early on in his career, he tore his ACL and then being able to come back from that and restore the level of play that he has with Minnesota. I mean, he's the he's the top corner for this team. And I also don't think he's completely cracked the surface of like his full development because this guy is a student in the game. Like when you talk to him, he's working on all the details, continuing to improve his skills. I have my eye on him. And then uh, Niles Pinckney now, a transfer from Clemson, that Minnesota added a defensive tackle, played more than 1,100 snaps for Clemson, did not have a large role for them, but was more of a rotational guy, came in on early downs, uh, really good against the run, played multiple techniques. His hand technique is really good. Able to get leverage, good against the run. Also showed flashes as a pass rusher. I'm expecting him to play some three technique. And he's someone who, in expanded role coming from Clemson, translating to Minnesota, could be someone that bursts onto the scene and makes a lot of noise because they're looking for a defensive tackle to step up. But those two names on the defensive side of the ball stand out. You know, like you said, there's a lot of guys on offense. You know, you've got John Michael Schmitz, Blaze Andres, Connor Olson, all offensive linemen that have played in this outside zone scheme. So you're going to have a lot of interest from those wide zone NFL squads that want to continue adding offensive line depth. I mean, the Gophers up front, their offensive line run block really well last season, opening lanes and executing that scheme at a high level. I think pass protection is the next step for them. I mean, I look at offensive linemen, Tyler. I think college offensive linemen in particular, when you watch them this last season, it's interesting to me because a lot of players I've talked with are like, well, you know, I didn't really get a chance to work on the agility component during COVID as much because I was literally bench pressing and squatting in my garage versus being out on the fields as much working with the coaches and getting that agility side of it down. The strength components there, but like sometimes the pass protection looked like it took a step back for a lot of guys across the country and coaches seem to think the same thing. Yeah. And it'll be really interesting because we're seeing spring practices pop up already, which is just, it, it feels great to, have a little yeah. more sense of normality. And I like that. Uh, one last thing before we go, obviously you are digging in on a lot of film right now. Who are some guys that have really stood out to you that you're like, I love watching this guy play football. Osa Odigizua from UCLA. I've been digging into him. He caught my attention at the senior bowl. And I'm like, this guy has unreal length of phenomenal wingspan. And I know Minnesota fans are really interested in finding a three technique that can fill that role, be a one gap penetrator, be good against the run and also provide value as a pass rusher. While I look at Odigizua, one of my favorite sleepers in the whole class, I thought he was very disruptive at the senior bowl, made a lot of noise there. I came into the process looking at the defensive tackles. I've been digging into him heavily. And I'm like, I don't feel like the, the three tech, you know, everyone was like for a while, you got to get Christian Barmar, Davion Nixon, got to go get those guys early. But I'm looking at Ose Odigizua, 
Levi's on a wiki from uh, Washington, uh, Marvin Wilson at Florida State, like all those guys are legitimate options for the Vikings if they want to get a three technique defense tackle later, but then you don't have a second round pick. The Yannick Ngakwe thing totally changes your draft strategy, which is why if I'm the Vikings, I'm looking at moving back, maybe trying to get it so your trade value lines up maybe to get a late second rounder if at the worst you get an early third and you're able to convert that up uh you have a lot of third round picks and ammo to move up into the second round but i'm looking at the three technique defensive tackles and going okay there's definitely some promise there you don't have to rush and take one right away Uh, i'm not a proponent of that you got to take the best player available heck a wide receiver could be there the Vikings, when you look at their depth chart, Tyler, wide receiver, I go, okay, well, Thielen or Jefferson gets hurt. You're down to like, you got nothing like mm-hmm. <laughs> at all. I mean, you're talking about emergency players at that yeah. point versus another elite guy that you can put in there and feel comfortable with. They, I would not be surprised if they invest in a receiver early. And I know people will probably go, oh my goodness, I can't believe this, but it would not shock me one bit. No, I agree. There's, I've been slowly working my way through this D tackle class. Just finished on Uzurike, and oh, he's fun. And I'm excited to get to the UCLA kid. Uh, before I let you uh, do all your plugs, Daniel, I ask everybody this on the podcast: Do guards matter? Do guards matter? I would invest more in the tackle position. You can find guards a lot easier, especially when you're a team looking for an athletic guard. You can plug and play at that position. Uh, I do believe that like it's important to find guards in the late rounds that you can develop up so that you're ready to go when you need to fill that position. Uh, Teams don't seem to invest in it in the late rounds and have a high success rate. So I would like to see the, the, as a general manager, if I was a team, I'd be building, spending high picks on my tackles, maybe spending on a guard or uh, spending on a center and then look in the late you know, rounds to try to build up the guard or find a free agent that hits the market that comes cheap. I don't think you have to invest premium capital into the guard position, but when you do have a quarterback like Kirk Cousins, that is such a structure-based guy that you need, you know, excellent protection in the pocket. It is important to have that guard position solidified, especially in the interior, because you don't want to be pushing the pocket all day. Uh, Guards to me, It's tough, but I would say late rounds is where you have to hit on some of those guys and maybe find a free agent here there. It's cheap. That is a scheme fit. And that is exactly why guards don't matter, Daniel. Uh, Where can the good people find you? Because I know uh, we've mentioned it a couple times. You you have the Gophers Guru. Uh, Where can they find you and where can they see your work? can head over to gophersguru.com. $5 a month gets you access to the premium subscription, which includes like film breakdowns, analytics, features, and then Vikings Corner, mnvikingscorner.com. That's free content over there. I like to dive in occasionally when I get a chance. It's busy with the Gophers right now. We've got Gopher football spring ball getting started here soon. Then you have Gopher basketball. I've been doing some Gopher volleyball stuff. So if you're a Gopher fan, head on over to gophersguru.com and Vikings. Occasionally there'll be some articles out there about the draft on mnvikingscorner.com. Well, fantastic. Uh, Daniel, I appreciate you coming on and joining me for some really nice football talk and ladies and gentlemen, have yourself a great day and skull.